Let me tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. There's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Hello, hello. Well, Christmas is upon us like an avalanche. So this is the time when I start panicking, thinking of, oh, I got to get that and do that and write that. But nah, it's what we do at Christmas. All right. Well, that said, let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's do it. Let's go to the big book on the coffee table. Oh! As we go to the big book on the coffee table, I, I don't know if you're you're, you're listening to the, um, um, you know the, the 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 Christmas Carol du Jour, a nice uh, Advent preparation, and uh, today is actually one of my favorite songs, "Away in a Manger." It's it's a beautiful song, and it's sung by uh, kids. Where are the kids from? The Embers? Are the kids from the Embers? Yes, the Embers kids sing it. It's kind of cute, uh, but um, it's it's uh, some people credit to Luther, but it's really probably an American hymn. So you can get that on the on the web. But that said, let us go to the reading. Um, Isaiah, the seventh chapter, 10th to the 14th verse. Now this, okay, we're going to have fun with this. The Lord said to Ahaz, Ahaz was a king, the king of of, um, of Judea, of, of, of uh, the southern uh, part of Israel. Ask for a sign from the Lord. Ahaz answered, I will not ask, I will not tempt the Lord. You know, it's kind of interesting. I don't want, he was saying, I don't want to hear from God. I want to make up my own mind. Uh, well, that's kind of dangerous. Um, I remember uh, years ago, a woman who called me, and she's very depressed. I don't want to get into too much of it. And I started talking about her religious life, her spiritual life. And I was talking about Jesus and our Lord. And uh, he said, well, I really am big into St. Anthony. And that's wonderful to have a devotion to St. Anthony. He, he loved Jesus. So I, I would suggest that, that you read, try reading the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He said, where would I get those? In the Bible. Why would I get a Bible? I mean, it was clear this woman did not have a, a vibrant Catholic faith life. She loved St. Anthony, but that was the extent of it. And she got very angry. She actually was... was um, uh, 
very depressed and, and uh, she got very angry with me. And I said, well, you called for my advice. And she said, I just called to get your advice so I could compare it to other advice. <laughs> she, I gave her a reason to live. She was very mad at me. But, um, you know, sometimes we piously don't want to tempt the Lord. Well, that's because, uh, um, well, we don't want to hear from him. Other times we want a sign from God that agrees with us. This asking for a sign from God can be a little dangerous because if God gives you a sign, well, you know, there's the matter of interpreting it. And sometimes we, we don't really want to hear from God. We want God to hear from us. I don't know. I'm just blathering about that. But let me get on to the, the fun stuff here. Um, listen, House of David, is it not enough for you to weary men? Must you also weary my God? Therefore, the Lord will give you the sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And, uh, and shall name him Emmanuel. First of all, there are all sorts of people saying, well, the Hebrew text does not say virgin. It says young, the, the maiden, young, the young girl. If you were unmarried and a young girl, you darn well better be a virgin. But more interestingly, I think this verse highlights the importance of the Septuagint. Now, you all know what the Septuagint is, I imagine. It is the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, which was written in the the couple of centuries before Christ. And it's called the Septuagint, or the Bible of the Seventy, because there's a story about its writing, which may be mythology, who knows. Um, the Seventy scholars translated it individually and came up with the exact same translation, or... Uh, or they, they were given 70 hours to come up with this translation. There are various stories. But the the pharaohs of Egypt, the Ptolemy pharaohs, who were not Egyptian, they were Greek. They didn't even speak Egyptian. And their capital was Alexandria. And they were descended from one of Alexander's generals, General Ptolemy. So this was the Ptolemaic dynasty, the last dynasty. Cleopatra was part of this dynasty, and she was the only one who even bothered to learn Egyptian. So they were Greeks, and they had this magnificent library in Alexandria, and they wanted a copy of the Hebrew Scriptures for it, so they asked uh, that the Scriptures be translated. It probably took a while to do it, and was a gradual project. It's interesting that the Orthodox, uh, Orthodox Jews I have known say that was the worst day in the history of Judaism when they translated the, the Hebrew Scriptures into Greek. Because, of course, well, just look at what we non-Jews have done with the Hebrew Scriptures. We sort of, that's their attitude toward it, or some of theirs. So I remember Rabbi Lefkowitz telling me that. But um, I'm grateful they did. Now, what am I ranting and raving about? Always a good question. In the Septuagint, the word virgin is used. The virgin shall conceive, parthenos, parthenos, and, and, uh, um, that indicates that at the time of Christ, people who were Jewish believed that the word in the text of Scripture meant virgin. So you'll get someone saying, well, in Hebrew, it doesn't really mean virgin. As far as the Jews were concerned at the time of Christ, yes, it did. So in a sense, the Septuagint, in its translation, is a comment on the Hebrew Scriptures. And even the the uh, translation of Saint Jerome, who really did work at learning Hebrew, um, he was he was a genuine scholar. The Vulgate of Saint Jerome has a similar uh, position, I think, 
as an authoritative uh, commentary. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that means anything to you, but the text meant a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. The next odd thing, and they shall name him Emmanuel. And then we go to the gospel and we see that he's, she's to name him Jesus. I thought she was to name him Emmanuel. Well, the word Emmanuel literally means God is with us. That's what it means. God is with us. She shall name him. God is with us. So why did she name him Jesus? Well, naming him Emmanuel would have been a little bit spot on. Uh, but the name Jesus really indicates that God is with us. It was one of the most common names in the uh, used by Jews at the time of Christ. Mary was intensely common. You heard me say, if you could get in a time machine and go to Nazareth, you probably couldn't pick out our blessed Lord or our blessed mother out of a crowd of two because they were so ordinary. That's what they claimed to be. The blessed mother says he's looked on the ordinariness of his or the unimportance of his handmaid. Jesus says, uh, when he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he uses the word tapenos, as I always tell you, and that means undistinguished, unimportant. Jesus the Son of God, when he was incarnate among us, chose to be in the form of someone who was just a guy. You know, he was a construction worker from a small town that was, you know, nowhere at all. And I think that's really important for us to really take that to heart. So the very fact of his name, Jesus, uh, and, and it wasn't really Jesus. This is interesting. I mean, well, it was Jesus. Let me let me explain. His name was Yehoshua, which is Hebrew for the Lord will save. And in Aramaic, which was the language closely related to Hebrew that was spoken generally in the Holy Land at the time of Christ among among Jews, his name would have been Yeshua. But Clement of Alexandria, who wrote, I believe, oh, 180 A.D., said that that wasn't really his name. His name was Yeshua. And that comes, you have to put an S at the end of a word like that in Greek. So yes, and you have no sh in Greek or in Latin. So Yeshu became Jesus, which became Jesus. So that's how we get the name Jesus. But it's Yeshu. That's like Josh. <laughs> the name of Josh. And I don't, I don't mean our Josh, but, you know. <laughs> at the name of Josh, every knee must bend. I mean, when you hear it that way, it's like, what, Josh? Yeah, Jesus chose to be called something terribly ordinary because he was God with us, not God over and above us or opposed to us or removed from us. He was God with us, and he really was. He was God just kind of living in a small town. Uh could you imagine, you know, the word tecton, which is usually translated carpenter, really means construction worker. Uh, it can mean mechanic, but machines were made out of wood. So if I told you, yeah, the, the, I believe that the, the mechanic down the road, I, I think he's God. He was, are you out of your mind? But that's what we're saying as Christians, that this, this construction worker guy, um, he was God. And he is God. He's the savior of the world. A construction worker. Yeah, a, a guy who, you know, who 
He was in the building trades for 18 years. That's a, that's what we believe as Christians. And so often we get so grand about everything. Well, let's look at the gospel. Luke, the first chapter, the 26th verse uh, and following. You know, I, I think we... we um, um, I think we've looked at this pretty thoroughly, but, let, you know, this gets looked at very thoroughly. Uh, in the sixth month, no, when was the sixth month? Uh, that was uh, the sixth month of what? That's kind of a, a difficult um, interpretation. Is that in the sixth month of uh, of the pregnancy of... Uh, of Elizabeth, that that really does seem to be, um, what's going on here? Let's see here. Because the story, I got to scroll up here. The story is preceded by um, uh, the the conception of John the Baptist, um, and we we read down further in the passage. Uh, Behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month. So I think that sixth month, when it says in the sixth month, I think it's referring, but, you know, there are other opinions, but I think it's referring to the sixth month of the, sixth month of the pregnancy of St. Elizabeth. Um, the angel Gabriel uh, was sent from God. Now, this is very interesting because the angel Gabriel um, it, is is mentioned at the end of the prophetic um, at the end of the prophetic uh, I'm, I'm, I'm lost for a word here uh, the prophetic era shall we call it uh, uh, and then appears again in other words the spirit of of, uh, of uh, uh, prophecy had been kind of well, put on hold and and we read about the angel gabriel in the book of daniel and after that you know not nothing well gabriel comes back and with gabriel the the prophetic uh uh spirit has returned um so that that's i think why it's important that that we realize that this is the angel Gabriel. Now that said, where did I put the the reading? Once again, I've lost the. I've got so much up here. Okay, there it is. And she was betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Um, now the word Mary Maria means means bitterness. Our Lady of Sorrows. That was an appropriate name. And hail full of grace, that word you hear all the time is kekaritomeni, which means already having been graced. And we Catholics use that as kind of a proof text for the Immaculate Conception. So there, and I think it works that way. Well, very interestingly, Mary is told not to be afraid. Of what was Mary afraid? Well, angels, when they appear... Uh, this is just, again, take this. You got the salt shaker ready? Take this with a grain of salt. This is just my spin on it. Our Blessed Mother had, in her Immaculate Conception, I believe, had perfect trust in God. So what did she have to be afraid of? When angels appear to us, 
they seem always to appear as just somebody, just a, a human being. And it's at the end of this encounter with the angel. We see this in the Bible. And I, I people I know who, who've experienced angels, I genuinely believe have experienced angels. This is true for them too. It's just somebody. And then at the end of the vision, they realize they've been talking to an angel. So Mary was talking to some guy. There's an old story. It's not in the Bible, but it's, it's an old myth. I'm not sure where it comes from, but there is a well in Nazareth called the Virgin's well. And, uh, our blessed mother, the story goes, was getting water at the well in the morning. And this man spoke to her. You did not speak to a good Jewish girl. Didn't happen. And the myth, again, this is not Bible, but it's an interesting story. It's a very pretty story, I think. Mary was so shocked that a strange man would speak to her. She dropped her, 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 her clay water pot which broke and she ran home. And there when she got home was this man. She was a good girl. She was terrified by this, not frightened by the circumstances, but, but legitimately afraid of, of, of offending God. I, that's my theory on it. So the angel says, don't be afraid. You found favor with God and he explains what's going on. And she kind of gets into it with, with the angel. How can this be? I, I do not know man. Uh, and we read in, in the Protovangelion of, of St. James, as I've explained, that it seems that Mary had made a vow of chastity. And that did happen among Jews. We read about in Leviticus uh, that, that women did occasionally take this vow. Uh, and uh, the, again, from the Protovangelion of St. James, she would have been one of those young women who did, you know, you forgive the, don't shoot the messenger, but she did women's work in the temple. Well, uh, Mary says, behold, I'm the handmaid. And just one more little comment on this. Handmaid, the word is slave. Mary says, handmaid sounds kind of elegant, you know, that, uh, that um, she's the maid and, you know, the, no, it's slave. I'm the slave of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Um, this is just a beautiful passage of scripture and has been the excuse for a lot of really beautiful art uh, because it is the pivotal moment in human history. When Jesus came into the world, we celebrate Christmas with great fanfare. But I think I've already shared that we celebrate December 25th because in the earliest days of the church, they believe March 25th was the date of the visit of the angel and the conception of Jesus, that that the word became flesh on March 25th and Christmas, which was not as important a feast day in some ways as, as March 25th. Um, I'm not trying to diminish Christmas. Christmas is wonderful and a very wonderful uh, feast to celebrate. But March 25th, I think, should be celebrated with a lot more um, pizzazz and dignity than we celebrate it, because that is when the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So that said, we're going to go to a break. We will come back with some letters, and um, uh, you can call in. The phones are open at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. Father Simon says, And a partridge in a pear tree. On Relevant Radio. 
Network sponsor TimeBank can make remote account opening easy. No matter where you are in the country, they offer mobile and online banking and knowledgeable bankers that answer the phone. More information at time.bank. That's time.bank. Member FDIC. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. This the stars is in the sky look down. Oh, it's so, so lovely. The music of my childhood. Oh, before we launch into things, I just want to remind you uh, about Father Rocky's Eucharistic Encounters. Uh, really good stuff. Um, the the one today is really fascinating. One about the French Revolution and uh, uh, nuns who are allowed to continue their ministry, and it's a really beautiful story. Look at it, Father Rocky's Eucharistic Encounters. They really are worth reading. And also, we have wonderful news that I barely understand about the new and improved app. I've asked the voice in my head, who is young and understands these things, <laughs> to comment on it. Yes, yes. so Relevant Radio yes. has a, a... Our Christmas gift comes a little bit early, so there is a brand new update to the Relevant Radio app. So if you go to the App Store for Android or for iPhone, you can download the Relevant Radio app or update your app. Um, you can find, uh, of course, all of our live shows there, um, improved uh, podcast features where you can find different you know, chapter markers of your favorite part of a particular show. And so uh, that's the brand new, uh, new and improved Relevant Radio app. But of course, some of your favorite features like uh, our prayers, uh, are still on the app, so we've just retooled it. Um, but some of your your favorite things are still present there. So that's a brand new app, well, and, and kudos to uh, to the digital team to make it happen. Is that what we're are you calling them? The digital team, all those guys who make the computers happen. I always think of them as the computer monkeys. They know what they're doing. <laughs> is that? I don't know if that's a good term for them, but uh, I've said it. It'll stick. They, they, they are. I just marvel when I, when I, when I meet all these guys. They're amazing. They just hit the buttons, and I look in awe. You know, I'm still working with the goose quill pens and carrier pigeons, and these guys just they make these things happen. It's just amazing. So kudos to you guys. All right, and I will certainly go to the app store, and I will get the new app. <laughs> and then I'll probably have to call the voice and wait to undo whatever I did. All right, <laughs> moving along. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It actually is quite simple, uh, and I think even I can do it. All right, let's go to letters. Okay, I got one from uh, Julie. Uh, and, yes, the pretzels have arrived. But the question is, what is apostasy? Uh, um, well, apostasy is... Uh, uh, in. The Catholic definition is total repudiation of the Christian faith. And it's a Greek word that means apostasis, to stand away. Stasis means stand, and apo means away. In other words, oh, I, I, I don't believe in that stuff anymore. That's apostasy. And it's it's really is the death of a soul. You know, apostasy is, is the death of, of the soul. Um, it's to repudiate what you have always believed. And when you lose faith, you lose who 
who you are. So that's what apostasy is. It means a rejection of the faith. Okay, let's go to another letter here. This is from Paul. This is a very interesting. So Paul said a, a meditation, uh, of sort of just thoughts about St. Joseph. St. Joseph was betrothed to Mary, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child. Being a righteous man, he intended to divorce her quietly, not wanting to expose her to shame. This strikes me as a kind of Abrahamic test. I've never thought of it this way, and I think it is, in which God was allowing Joseph to reveal the content of his heart, whether he was concerned about his own reputation and ego, the welfare of the poor, or the young woman and her baby. Joseph's response revealed that he possessed the necessary disposition to be the husband of Mary and the foster father of Jesus. I, is this a kind of comparison between the tests of Abraham and Joseph? Is this valid? Yeah, Paul, I think that Paul in Tampa, I think this is, that's a very good insight. And, you know, God tests us, not because he doesn't know what's in our heart, but because we don't. You know, that that, that Moses, for instance, God uh, said to Moses, uh, I will destroy these people and make of you a great and mighty people. Was God planning on doing that? No. He, and he knew what Moses would say. Moses said, heaven forbid, because they'll say you brought these people out in the desert, into the desert, somebody killed them. That Moses was concerned for the honor of God. And Moses was going to need that because he was going to lead a stiff-necked people through the desert for 40 years. He needed to know what was in his own heart. Um, you know, I don't know if this happens to other people, but... When I was a young seminarian, I I had a rough time because I was very involved in the Pentecostal movement, and there was the resistance that I found from from teachers who were very liberal made me realize I really wanted to be a priest, and and that has sustained me. And the same thing with Joseph, that Joseph loved this woman, and I don't mean in a romantic way, but in a real way. He he, he had a he 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 willed her good and the good of her child, and and so um, uh, he needed to know that. So I think I think Paul, you know, God God tests us not so that He can know what's in us, but so that we can know what's in us. If it is not good, that we might repent. If it is good, that we might be sustained by that that reflection of God that's in us. So. When God puts us to the test, it's, it's for our good. So I think, Paul, that that's a, a, an insight. I never quite thought of it. Um, um, this time of year, I'm seeing a lot of concerts that are being hosted by Catholic churches. I feel since the church is a holy and consecrated place, the Mass should be the only thing that is celebrated. Am I being too critical? You know, if it's sacred music, there are other things that go on in church than Mass. Benediction does. Novenas do. Our rosaries do. Prayer meetings do, though I think if it's going to be a, a rip-roaring Pentecostal meeting, maybe better have it in the basement hall, frankly. Um, but, um, no, I, I think that, that uh, um, uh, prayer is the lifting of the heart and mind to God, and good art lifts the heart and mind to God. Having the third grade recital, maybe not so much. Have that in the hall, or, or have the Christmas concert in the hall if it's going to have secular music in it but if it's a concert of sacred music that does lift the heart and mind to god and and it is appropriate um uh, sometimes it can get a little too artsy uh and it's a, a venue for artists showing off their talent nah, have that in the hall too but if it's truly a, a 
a concert of sacred music designed to bring people closer to the Lord. I don't think that's a problem, Paul. Um, just make sure it isn't, you know, songs written in the late uh, 20th century or in the middle in the early 20th century, but it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. None of that stuff. All right, let's see here. All right, um, this is uh, uh, this is kind of interesting. You mentioned that it's okay to name our angel yesterday uh, in the story of the the uh, the conception of Samson. We read that um, the angel said, "Why do you ask my name? It is it is too wonderful. It, it's in other words, it, it's too wondrous for you. It's too powerful." And there's a controversy. Do we name our angels? Do we not name our angels? And, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing to name your angel, realizing that that's probably not your angel's name. Uh, if, if it reminds you that you are surrounded by, by, by the angels and you're accompanied in this difficult life by a messenger from God. I don't think it's a bad thing, just so you realize that, that uh, it isn't, um, it isn't necessarily the angel's name. But, I always heard that we are not to name our angels, Sylvia writes, uh, because that shows authority over them. Well, guess what? We do have authority over the angels. The Bible says, do you not know you that you will judge angels? In other words, by judge, it means to give good advice, to give counsel to angels. That's an amazing thing when you think about it, that we are, we have something, we have a gift from God that God didn't even give the angels. We share in the unique creativity of God in a way that angels do not. Angels do not reproduce. The Bible says they will be like angels in heaven, neither giving nor taking in marriage. Angels don't have children. They are direct creations from God. Whereas we human beings, in the coming together of a man and a woman, the only legitimate form of marriage, uh, that, that um, they can create something that is eternal. The body is eternal. This body will die, but it gives, it's the seed of, of a body that is eternal and immortal. This body is mortal, but it still is the beginning of something eternal. God didn't give the angels that privilege. So the angels respect us, and that's why the devil hates us. Very interesting. So, yes, the, the, uh, I would just remind people that, you know, if you call your, your angel, Leon, you're going to be, find out that, well, maybe his name isn't Leon. <laughs> well, I, I prayed and I, the Lord showed me the angel's name. I, I don't know about that. If it, if it benefits your spiritual life, good. But, uh, also, the scripture cautions us not to worship angels. We do pray to our guardian angels, but we do not worship them. All right. That said, let us now go to uh, a uh, break. We'll come back with a word of the day, which is going to be gloriously complicated. Oh, and there's lots of lines open. I didn't even mention 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Do call in and stump the Reverend Know-It-All. If you are in the market for health insurance, our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is here to help you and your family find the most cost-effective health plan. Learn more at relevantradio.com slash forester. 
Am I live? I'm live now, aren't I? <laughs> oh, I'm just wishing I was there. <laughs> speaking in tongues again. Hallelujah. All right. Let, let's move along. That's Bing Crosby singing Merry Christmas in Hawaiian. All right. All right. Okay, moving along. Um, let's go to uh, the word of the day. Oh, and don't forget to uh, download the app. <laughs> you won't regret it. Uh, it really is. I can do it, so it can't be that hard to do. All right, let's let's go to the gospel here. We read uh, that that um, the angel Gabriel says that the Holy Spirit, the power of the Most High, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. That is a fascinating word to me. Oh, the the overshadowing of of the Holy Spirit. Uh, because, well, the word in Greek is, oh, this is going to get complex. The word in Greek is episkiasi. Uh, that, that S-K-I in the middle it has, it's an interesting word because it's reflected in the gospel of John. Uh, when, when we read, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That word, skeno, it means to pitch a tent. And skene is, uh, it referred in the theater, of course, to the scenery, the backdrop, which is painted on canvas. But skeno means to pitch a tent. And the word was going to pitch his tent among us. Well, this word is related to uh, what we read in this Gospel of Luke, uh, epischiazzo. But I hope this isn't too obscure. But even more interesting is its relationship to a Hebrew word. Uh, people talk about the Shekinah Gloria, the Shekinah, or some say Shekinah, Shekinah. That word actually doesn't appear in the Bible. Uh, it, 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 um, uh, it appears in Talmud and, and, and places like that, uh, but it's not found in the Bible. But people talk about the Shekinah glory. In other words, the glory of the, the presence of the Lord. A word that does appear in the Bible is Mishkan, which means the dwelling. The tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant was, was called the Mishkan, the dwelling. And that's in a Semitic language, which has no etymological relationship to the Greek language, which is a Indo-European language, but it's an interesting coincidence that that S-K-I uh, appears in the Hebrew word Shekinah, and it also appears in the Greek word Skene and Skiazo, because Mary is the dwelling place of God. And so this overshadowing, <laughs> in a sense, Mary is, is covered by God's tent as was the Ark of the Covenant, and at the same time, she becomes the dwelling place of God. I, I don't know if that, that just intrigued me when I saw that. I thought that was really, really impressive, that that um, our Blessed Mother, uh, we talk about her as the new tabernacle, but this idea of, of the place where God dwelt. you got to remember the temple, the Ark of the Covenant was gone. It We don't hear about it, certainly not after the... Uh, um, 
destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians about 600 years before Christ. But the ark may have vanished earlier than that. People talk about finding the lost ark. Well, in the books of Maccabees, they say that uh, the Jeremiah the prophet was also a priest, and some of the Levites hid it in the mountains of Moab, and that when the ark is rediscovered, pack your bag because the Lord's returning. Eh, we'll see. You know, um, the, the, this idea of, of the Holy of Holies being empty. Well, when Gabriel appeared to Mary, the Holy of Holies was no longer empty. The vehicle of the presence of God was the Ark of the Covenant, and that foreshadowed Christ, that he is the ultimate uh, vehicle of the presence of God. And our Blessed Mother was the dwelling place of God. She was the Mishkan, and she was overshadowed, uh, Schiazzo, and she was the, the, the dwelling place of God. In Greek, that would be the the, the skene. So, Barry, I, I just think that, you know, the Holy Spirit is not only the third person of the Trinity, it's a really great poet. All right, that said, let us go to phone calls. Hello? You talk, I'll listen. Karen, I'm listening. What can I do for you? Hello, dear father. I wanted to submit something, um, send it over the net, as it were, for you to, to, to chew on and let me know what you think about this. Um, I've, regarding St. Joseph, um, finding out that his wife was with child. I referred mm-hmm. to uh, the consecration to St. Joseph by Father Don Calloway, and um, mm-hmm. I know you're well aware of him. And so I wanted to, to look it up quick and see what it said. And in brief, it says that the tra- translation herein is provided from the Revised Standard Version Catholic Edition, because it does not state that St. Joseph desired to divorce his wife. And it goes on from there to provide three Hmm. different theories which have been allowed for and discussed um, among the early church fathers and goes back to way, way back. Anyway, um, the the early church. Okay, so the third is the reverence theory, and I wanted to throw that out um, to you to see what you say about it. Hmm. Um, it says St. Joseph discovers that Mary is with child, but does not doubt her purity nor her innocence. Instead, he doubts his own worthiness and ability to take care of Mary and the child. A just man, he knows that Mary belongs to God, and he considers himself unworthy of living with Mary and decides to separate himself from her out of justice to God and reverence to her. And it goes on, but it is a beautiful chapter. Had you come upon that? No, I had never heard that. And I think it's a very beautiful idea. I'm going to have to ponder it. I mean, St. Joseph was a just man. And, and to us, a just man, you know, he's a guy who pays his taxes on time. So much more in Hebrew. It's a sadik. He was a righteous man, full of kindness, yet full of truth. Uh, um that's fascinating. I'm going to have to ponder that. Um, uh, let me, I'm, as you can hear, I'm clicking away because I want to find the text in in, in the Hebrew scriptures. And, and Father Calloway is is a he's a, a great author. I've got it. I've got it now. I got it now. Boy, there's the music in my head. Um, but uh, you know, interesting. Joseph, uh, her husband, uh, being a, a righteous man and not wanting to. Uh, it really means, 
the word the word in Greek is digmatisai, which means to expose publicly or to make an example of her. Hmm, that's what it means in Greek. Not wishing to to make an example of her. I I, I look at the text and I'm going to have to ponder to see if I think that you know. I mean, I I I feel rather <laughs> I feel like Saint Joseph. You're saying Saint Joseph, but when I think about comparing my own thoughts to Father Calloway's, I I, I don't you know. But it does mean he did not want to make an example of her, but decided secretly to to uh, to dismiss her, to send her away, to divorce her. So I'm going to have to ponder that. That's interesting, because it certainly yeah. sounds like Saint Joseph. I mean, that seems to be the kind of guy he was. You know, he wouldn't have thought himself. In fact, is uh, well. Interesting. You've given me something to ponder. Well, thank you. I will ponder. I'm grateful, so, Father. Because I'd like to know, well, I don't have that version of the Bible, the Revised Standard Version, Catholic Edition, yeah. but it does not use that word divorce in there. So now it's upon me. I have to go to the local uh, Catholic bookstore and, and uh, look that up and see how it's written. But um, the Church well, does accept, he says, he writes, that sure. it does accept this theory. Well, Apollosa is the word in the text, and that means to, to release or to send away. Lusai is to dissolve, uh, and Apo is away. So he resolved to send her away. Uh, that makes sense, a... because otherwise, wouldn't he be under law, required to stone her to death under the law? If she was found, um, child, it, it is the law. I don't know how often that law was invoked, but certainly it could be invoked. They, we certainly do hear people stoning. Well, we see people wanting to stone an adulteress. Who and Jesus writes uh, the tradition. He writes a list in the in the in the dust. Well, I thank you for calling in, Karen. I am going to contemplate that and see if, what I can come up with. All right, thank you, Michael. From from uh, Rocky Hill, Connecticut. What can I do for you, Michael? Oh, Father Simon. Every day when I finally get time to log into Relevant Radio, yours is the first podcast on demand that I always sign in for. Um, oh, dear. Incredible insight you always provide. <laughs> well, um, I hope they're true. But go on. Okay, moving along. Anyway. What? I anyway. Ponder, I, I started to ponder back in 2020. When I heard that 65 million children were aborted, and I wanted to see, you know, relatively, what does that look like if you took the largest cities in the United States? So I compared it with the 2020 census, and at the time, we were all the way up to like 89 of the biggest cities in the United yeah. States of America. Um, it, that was the last tally I had. Yeah, um, yeah. As far as the it's magnitude, horrendous. If, if all horrendous, those people yeah. just died, yeah. And I've yeah. seen buckets and pictures where they've been uh, the parts, and I just pray for them. And I wonder, well, yeah. they were, God was there at the moment of conception. He was the flash of light for their soul. Mm -hmm. And now that their soul has been extinguished, and now he's carrying them forward in a state of innocence, I believe, where they reach up to be their natural intended soul i mean body blood um well not body and you, blood i guess but you know you know michael the, i i think one of the one of the biblical precedents for 
the you know what we talk about is baptism is necessary for salvation and we have to remember in in the catechism says we are bound by the sacraments god is not and we do see in the story of the holy innocents we have always regarded them as saints uh who have the vision of god though they were never baptized uh they and they didn't give their lives for christ but their lives were taken for christ and in their innocence we believe that they they were taken into heaven. We have that biblical precedent. So, uh, you know, I have no problem believing that God would take the, those, God would take those souls into into heaven without without any problem, without any ado. So, I I don't know if that if that answers the question. So, um, but like in Revelations now, when he talks about these uh, seas, these masses, amounts of of people coming forward in different things, you know, uh, beyond number and stuff. Would this be? Yeah, I, those... I, I, I think we can hope that 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 the children who die in innocence have the vision of God. Uh, one of the one of the dodges or possibility dodges. I don't know if that's the right word, but that they would go to heaven. But to have the vision of God, baptism is necessary. I don't know. I, I, I cannot believe that God would not make that exception. So, yeah, I see your point, Michael, and I think it's well taken. So, well, thanks for calling in, and, and uh, I'm honored that you listen. God bless. Hope that that's just my opinion, and, and well, God willing, we get there, we can we can ask. But I, I suspect that God, in his infinite love and mercy, uh, will manage that. Let's go to Joe Marie from Wisconsin in the beautiful United States, or beautiful Wisconsin in the beautiful United States. What can I do for you, Joe Marie? Yes, hello, Father. I was wondering if you could explain um, the meaning of um, of uh, the um, now um, good grief. Good grief. The communion of saints. Good grief, as I always say. Yes, communion of saints, right? Yeah, the communion of saints. Sure, sure. The word communion, and and when we think of communion, we think of going to church and getting the Eucharist. Right. I always say, no, 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 no. I can give you the Eucharist. I can't give you communion. Communion, uh, union means oneness. And the prefix com it literally uh, in Latin is from the word with, but it's an intensifier in many situations or in with many words. In other words, this is not just union. This is intense union. There is an intense union of the saints. Now, who are the saints? <coughs> Excuse me. If you are in a state of grace, you're a saint, maybe with a very small s, but a saint nonetheless. So if those people are in the state of grace in heaven, in purgatory, and on the earth, live in an intense union that they might not even know about. We are in, a, in, a, in an intense fellowship with all those who are in a state of grace. That's what that means, the communion of saints. And, of course, <coughs> the communion of saints refers uh, to all of us, but in particular excuse me, to those saints who are in glory and they pray for us. They're aware of the intensity of that union. I'm not. I just go through my day living 
unaware that I am surrounded by, as Scripture says in the letter of the Hebrews, so great a cloud of witnesses. So the communion of saints is the intense oneness of all of those people who have God living in them. Does that explain it, Joan Marie? Oh, yes, it does. Thank you so much, Father. Good. Well, thank you. All right. Thanks for listening. God bless. Let's go to Frank, who's calling in from Glendale, California. What can I do for you, Frank? I don't know if I have time for this. I'd like to see if I can get your reaction. This is regarding uh, St. Augustine's commentary on the gospel from today and yesterday, Mm -hmm. contrasting the responses of Mary and Zacharias. Uh, Uh, I can just read this brief passage. This is from Augustine now. However, the words of the one and of the other are almost the same. But the one who heard the words also saw the hearts. For him, nothing Uh, is hidden. Each one's language concealed what he thought. But if this thought was hidden from human beings, it was not hidden from the angel. Or rather, it was not concealed from him who spoke through the angel's mediation. So I I just wanted to get your reaction. That's a little bit different take than what you uh, Oh, that's... that's, Augustine was a smart person. I'll defer to him. But yeah, I think, you know, that that's a problem for some people. Well, the Blessed Mother said, how can this be? And uh, uh, Zechariah said, how will I know? I have a slightly different spin on it. He wanted to know. She wanted, she wanted, uh, uh, I think she wanted her, her commitment to, to the Lord to be, uh, to be inviolable. But yeah, God knew what they were asking in their hearts, even though Somebody can say the same thing as another person. They might mean something completely different. But Drew is coming up, and he says it like it is.